0: In December of 1974, MUFON field investigator John Maloney was assigned to a case in Townshend, Vermont. He had left promptly after receiving a call from MUFON's Director of Investigations, Ray Fowler, and arrived at the home of the witnesses at 2.30 p.m. Miss Lower woke up that morning of December 14, 1974, around 7.30 a.m., and put the kettle on. Heavy snow was falling and obscured everything, like a heavy curtain. She drew the drapes in her living room, and under the cascade of snowflakes, descending, was a strange circular patch of thawed ground fifteen feet away from the house. She immediately threw on her coat, and ran into the cold. She trudged through three inches of snow to the spot, and noticed how, when the snow landed in the strange patch of ground, it would melt on contact. Miss Lower said the ground was puffed up, like a plowed field in a spring thaw. The Lower's daughter, Colleen, told her parents and investigators that around 1 a.m. she was woken up by a pinkish glow coming through her window, but went back to sleep shortly after. Miss Lower reported a similar incident three hours later, around 4 a.m. She was woken up by her dogs that morning and observed a pinkish glow coming in through her bedroom window as well. She was too tired however to get up and investigate the strange glow. When John Maloney arrived that afternoon, there was a keep out sign placed near the strange circle. Mr. Lower informed Maloney that the man on the telephone had advised him to put it there. He assumed the man he was talking about was Ray Fowler. Radiological readings, soil samples, and temperature readings were taken at differing depths. Mr. Lower mentioned that the man on the phone was sending a helicopter out to his property the next day. Maloney was confused. It couldn't have been Fowler that he talked to, and at the current moment the only people who knew about the sighting were the Lowers, the widow of an APRO investigator, reporter Greg Warden of the Battleboro Reformer, and maybe one or two other people. And just like the man said, on Sunday, December 15th, a helicopter did show up on the lower property. The aircraft circled their property for about 10 minutes, as if deciding on a place to land, but ultimately never did. Other eyewitnesses reported seeing the helicopter, including the editor of the Battleboro Reformer, The Lowers were later interrogated via telephone by a man claiming to be from the Reformer the following week, but a check revealed that whomever it was had never worked there. Even more puzzling is that the Lowers had an unlisted number. An investigation revealed that the mysterious ring of dirt was caused by a dry well that the previous homeowners had not disclosed to the current ones. The family had done their laundry the previous evening, and the hot water caused the snow to melt. John left around 4 p.m. that day, and the storm had become worse. His car skidded on a patch of ice and hit a tree. He was taken to the local hospital with multiple fractures. On the road that day was a mysterious man that rescued him from the car. Ray Fowler would encounter this man a decade and a half later, during an investigation into an alien abduction case made famous by unsolved mysteries, this man's name is Chuck Rack. My name is Rob Kristofferson. Welcome to this edition of the Our Strange Skies Addendum. Welcome to another edition of the R Strange Guys Addendum. I am your host, Rob Kristofferson. I wanted to release this episode of the Addendum to everyone because there is just way too much information that we weren't able to cover on the main episode. If we had, it would have been over three hours. What follows here adds depth and richness to the experiences of Jim and Jack, and even Charlie, For this episode of the Addendum, we will focus on the abduction memories of Jim and Jack Weiner from their days before the Allagash incident, and a few additional incidents that occurred after it, as well as the physical evidence attributed to this case. Under hypnosis, Jack talked of seeing the strange beings in his Vermont home years later, and his wife Mary recalled a strange dream in which Jack walked through a wall to let their dog out. Fowler explored this memory under hypnosis. On this night, Jack is woken up by the sound of his dog scratching at the door to be let out. When he approaches, he can see this strange blue light illuminating his kitchen. Looking out, he can see this light hovering over a truck in the field by their house. Jack and his dog all make a run for the light for some strange reason. He gets this odd feeling that he doesn't want his dog to get lost, so he picks him up and brings him back to his bedroom. By this time, the light has moved from the field to the back of his house. Jack's curiosity is gone now, replaced with total fear. He also acts like he's inconvenienced by the aliens, which is kind of funny. Jack takes refuge under the covers, seeking comfort in the dog and Mary, Deep down, he knows they're inside the house. He can feel it. They're in the bedroom. Slowly, the covers are pulled down. And they're there, standing there, looking down at him. He wants to scream, to warn Mary. But that's when he notices that there's one standing by her, too. The beings help Jack and Mary stand up and they help them toward the light. They walk out on the lawn, compelled by something beyond themselves. Their movements are not their own. They are the movements of those that walk beside them. The light changes color from white to yellow to orange and purple, finally back to white. The bottom of the craft, though, remains blue. Jack can smell the grass and something that reminds him of a cold freezer being opened up. He can see Mary beside him, as they're led to the blue light. Her face is a mix of fear and apathy, as if she can't totally react to everything that is happening around her. All Jack can think about is how they're taking her away. In the next moment, they're in a strange and confusing room that seems to go on and on and on, he can see one of the beings standing beside him. Another steps in front of him and brings a device up to his face. Jack is vague about this object, stating that it's a quote, plain looking surface that's bright and not like metal. End quote. The device lowers to his throat, and then to his chest, stomach, and groin. The being hands the instrument off and begins to examine Jack's face with its hands. It then takes a thin rod with a light on the end of it, and moves it around Jack's mouth. He is moved into a machine where a number of things are done to him, a lot of which is described with vague language, as if he can't totally comprehend what is happening. He is moved out of the machine, and back into the previous room, where he's lathered up with a strange substance by the beings. They tell him that he is ready, and in the next moment he is back in his clothes, standing on the grass. Mary is by his side, and he is floating back into his bedroom. The beings instruct him not to tell anyone, or it would hurt him. Hypnosis sessions with Mary failed to turn up any new information. She was anxious the whole time and couldn't relax. Mary did give Fowler a piece of information that led to experiences in the twins' early life. Jim recalled hearing voices often as a child when he would go to bed and there would be music that sounded like booming drums. Whenever the drum sound would appear, most often he would hear a low male voice call his name three or four times. He used to think it was God talking to him due to his Catholic upbringing. He would hide under his covers, thinking that God wanted to take him from this life. There was one night in particular when the voices were saying his name, that additional voices joined in. Jim could hear wailing in male and female tones. The boys were four or five years old when they moved into the house their father had built. It was in a remote area, and it was built on nothing that had been there before. They were surrounded by fields of corn and trees. The nearest neighbor was miles away. One night, Jack awoke in the bedroom he shared with his brother Jim. A short figure looked down upon the frightened boy. It had a large head and big eyes, and appeared to be glowing somehow as it floated before him. He tried to scream, but the sound was trapped in his mouth, held there by some unseen force. The being drew the covers back, up to Jack's chest, and stared at him for a few moments longer before completely disappearing. Not long after, Jim and Jack would start to hear the voices. They nicknamed the speaker Harry the Ghost. And he would manifest as ghostly voices and rapping on the walls. They would hear footsteps. An invisible entity would sit on their bed and pull their covers off. And they would try to grab their feet and pull them from their beds. Doors would open and close in the house. Radios and TVs would turn off and on. And objects would move around the house on their own. They would experience bedroom lights small orbs of light that would go from room to room. These experiences ceased when the twins and their brother Tom were in their teenage years. The last incident occurred when Jack was home alone talking to his girlfriend on the phone. A ball of yellow light passed by the kitchen window. It then entered the kitchen and moved about the house. It floated into his bedroom, where it hovered for a short period of time before exiting through a window. In one particular missing time event, Jim Weiner had been sledding on Ruth Hill, approximately a mile from his home. When it neared 4 p.m., he headed home to be there for dinner by 5. In one moment, Jim was trudging through the deep snow in a race to get home. And in the next, it was after 6 p.m., and he was just walking through the door. Through a dream, Jim recalled that during this walk, a spherical object descended from the clouds. He could see pheasants fleeing from the area, and the blue-gray object consumed the sky around him. It had a series of brown panels on the side that were backlit. Jim can feel himself being pulled apart, and in the next moment he is in a gigantic room that went on forever. A small group of beings observed him from a corner of the room. They are cloaked, wearing a tunic of some kind, and one approached Jim with impossible speed. They usher him to a light that he can see from behind them, and he is led to a table where they remove his clothes and conduct an examination. Jim can move, but he's too scared, and he can hear whispering sounds behind him. They examined his back, which caused him pain and something was shoved into his head, which also caused him pain. Then, Jim was back on the road, walking for home with no memory of what had happened. Jim had another memory of falling into a hole for a septic tank. Before his brother Tom found him, he recalled seeing a familiar and terrifying face looking down at him, the face of the beings. Shortly after, his brother Tom peeked over the hole almost as if the alien being led him there. In March of 1973, Jim saw a bright light at night while driving with friends. It seemed to tumble end over end, like a slinky. Jim and his friends pulled over the car to get a better look at the light. But when a car passed by the group, it changed course and disappeared. During the time the hypnosis sessions were taking place... The beings would appear in Jack's dreams, wearing shrouds and telling him not to talk about his experiences. It was always spontaneous, like a child being surprised by their first pop-up book. In one dream, Jack, Mary, Jim, and Charlie were taking in a play. Jack sat next to a satin curtain. The head of one of the beings infused with the satin curtain. It was a completely foreign sight but still seemed like it belonged among the satin fabric. As soon as it had appeared, it disappeared. Jack is outside on the sidewalk, and the others are in the theater looking for the face among the curtain. The being walked into the dream. It appeared before Jack and urged him not to tell anyone about their activities. He stood there looking uneasy at the creature's eyes. He described them as bright, as a starless night. We've always been conditioned to believe that the eyes are the windows to the soul, but what kind of soul could be on the other side of eyes so big and emotionless? In the next scene, Jim is on a trolley with the others. A being materializes next to him and urges him not to tell Ray about them. The being then dematerializes, leaving clothing behind on the seat as a reminder. Charlie described what he believed to be a nightmare that may have been a real experience. In this dream, Charlie is visiting Jack in Vermont. He woke up and saw seven or eight alien beings outside of the sliding glass door that leads from the bedroom outside. They are looking toward the back of the house when one turns and looks at Charlie and approaches the house. Then, he is asleep again. The majority of the Allagash Four has some kind of physical evidence of their involvement in the abduction. Jack had what looked like a punch biopsy on his right leg and near that spot, a strange tumor was removed. Charlie had a scoop mark on the inside of his left leg, while Chuck had a strange mark on his back that looked like it had been caused by sun damage. Jim had two punch marks on his right and left leg. In the book, Jack's scoop mark is compared to Ray Fowler's, and the two bear a striking similarity. It's important to note that Jim was diagnosed with temporal lobe epilepsy which can cause hallucinations and is believed by many skeptics to be one of the causes of the alien abduction syndrome. However, Jim's neurologist has noted that this condition would not explain the Scoop Marks or Jack's experiences. I want to talk briefly about Chuck Rack for a moment, because I feel it's important to ruminate on his testimony. Chuck is described in the book as somewhat fearless, but also matter-of-fact, In many ways, I would compare him to a young Travis Walton. The kind of guy that would tell it like it is. If he did go along with a lie, it would seem to run against his character. His explanation is also somewhat lacking. He described it not as a hoax, but a form of creative storytelling. His explanation is as mysterious as the event itself. And that's going to do it for us here today. Thank you for tuning into this edition of the Our Strange Guys Addendum, and I hope you'll join us next time.